What I want to ask you the, for, to do this morning is to forget the reason why I'm standing here. All right? I know you, you, you all know why I'm preaching here this morning, but I want you to perish that thought and don't listen to me on the basis of that reason as to why I'm standing here. What I want you to do is I want you to um, pay careful attention to what God wants for this church for such a time as this. Um, when we came into, uh, when we decided that we want to come down to Taunton to share uh, some time with the, in the community and just get to know, have a feel of it, um, we, we started to look at interesting things to do in the area and where we can go and you know, do various things. And one of the things that we've noticed is that if you go visit the coast, you will uh, go uh, what they call Jurassic Coast, where you can go and see fossils. I'm not a fan of fossils because fossils tells me about the past and how we died. I want to talk about the future and how to be alive. And I believe that the church can fossilize if it doesn't evangelize. And the problem is, to a large extent, the church has lost the one thing that makes it living and breathing, and that is to evangelize the world. And so if, you, if we don't evangelize, we will fossilize. And of course, you are standing there this morning and you're thinking, oh, it's that word again, that E word, the word that I don't really like because it means I must get out of my comfort zone and it means I must go and do what Jesus really asked us to do. Now, let me tell you something. I'm, I'm not a, um, a, a big teacher of the English language, uh, but I know a few things because when the British came to South Africa and colonized South Africa, they taught, taught us English. So I speak English. And so uh, English is my first language uh, back in South Africa. And then I speak Afrikaans and a bit of Zulu and things. But my first language is, uh, is English. And um, when, when you learn English, uh, <laughs> here's, here's a strange thing. When I was in Bible college, I um, I got an A in Greek and Hebrew, and I got a D in English. <laughs> like, what's going on? But when you learn the English language, you learn that um, there, are, there are tenses and moods and verbs and nouns and subjects and predicates and so forth and so on. And when you, when you read the, the translation of the Bible, from Greek and Hebrew into English, one of the things that you find in the scriptures is a, is a mood called the imperative mood. And the imperative mood basically means something that you're supposed to do. When, 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 when you read something in, for example, the word consider. The, the word consider is always found in the imperative mood because it's asking you to do something. So when you find the Great Commission, which we call the Great Commission, and I, to date, I don't know why we label it the Great Commission, because it's in the imperative mood. And if it's in the imperative mood, it's a command, not a commission. So what we have done to soften the blow, let's not call it a command to go and preach the gospel, let's call it a commission. So God will commission us and so we can decide whether we want to be commissioned or not. So if I come across a bit too heavy this morning, it's because my passion is, the, the, when I look at the church in the UK, I struggle to find why churches in, uh, yes, here's something I will say to you. Uh, we, we're not far from a, a place called Rotherham, and uh, recently a church closed down in Rotherham, and it was bought by the Muslim community. 
So this building that was supposed to be for the kingdom of God and the extension of his kingdom is now used for a different religion. Why? Because the church got so comfortable within its four walls that it started to fossilize. And when it fossilized, it only fossilized because it didn't know how to evangelize. And so this morning, uh, I'm going to take a few moments of your time. Uh, just let me know if I'm going a bit too long. I'm a Pentecostal charismatic preacher, and so time is of no essence to me. I don't wear a watch. I come from Africa. We don't have watches. We have time. And so we just go till somebody, till everybody start walking out, then we get a signal that you should stop. <laughs> right. so, so this morning, I just want to say that um, uh, I, I chose... Uh, for a topic this morning, um, an incredible connection. And, um, and it's linked to the, the passage that um, uh, Chris read uh, so well this morning. If you're um, familiar with movies, there are certain movies that I really enjoy, and there are certain movies I switch it off halfway through because it just doesn't, it's not doing anything to me. But one of the movies that I really enjoyed came out years ago, is called Paid Forward. So I don't know if any one of you have watched the movie, but it's all about a teacher who goes into the school and he gives an assignment to his class and he says to his class, I want you to find something that can change the world and come and present it to the, to, to the uh, community, uh, to the class. And one of these kids, uh, Joel Osmond, comes up and he says, I have a, I have a brilliant idea. So here's what I'm going to do. So he goes to the, to the chalkboard and he draws a little circle. And he says, that's me. And then he draws three lines from there and three circles at the end of those lines. And he says that, so basically what I'm going to do is I'm going to do good, good things to three people. And so once I do those good things to those three people, they don't repay it to me. I want them to pay it forward. So I'm going to say to them, that what I want you to do now is go and do good to three other people. So suddenly, you got three people who are touching the lives of nine people. And then you got nine people who are touching the lives, you, you do the maths, okay? So basically what it's saying, if you want to see multiplica multiplication, then you gotta get into the system of what Jesus gave us in the, in the Bible of how we can make disciples. So when we make disciples, we basically are equipping them to become disciple makers and take the gospel. Because remember this, that from the time that Jesus gave the, uh, the, uh, was about to ascend into heaven, he said to his disciples that I want you to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And then he, um, he ascends into heaven. And the disciples went out. Uh, just before he gave that, in verse number 5 of Acts chapter 1, he says, Do not leave Jerusalem till you are given the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he says, And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be witnesses. Between that and the end of the book of Acts, it is said that the disciples of Jesus Christ have turned the world upside down. That's what they did. In a period of about 30 to about 100 years, 
the then known world was turned upside down by the disciples of Jesus Christ. You know why? Because they believed in a message with all their heart and they said everybody needs to hear this message. I'll give you a quick uh, illustration uh, thing that happened yesterday. Uh, Cheryl and I took a walk into town. We just wanted to get a feel of this town and stuff. And as we were walking on the high street, we saw a young man busking. Yeah, and his name is Reese. So we st I stopped and I had a conversation with Reese. And I said, man, you play such beautiful music. I wish you can play that music for God. And he said, I did play in church a couple of times. So why aren't you playing anymore? Now that's a question that I can continue with. Uh, somebody can continue with him. If you find him on the high street and if you see Reese with his brown guitar, just have a conversation with him and you'll be amazed as to where that conversation can go um, in the future. So the whole idea is, the, is coming to the place of an incredible connection. So that brings me to my text this morning because when Jesus gave the command and he said to his uh, disciples that you shall be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, the, the, the easy thing for the disciples of his day was to go to Jerusalem and to tell Jerusalem what they need to hear. The easy thing was to go to Judea and tell Judea what they need to hear because if you went to Jerusalem, you will find Jews. And if you went to Judea, you will find Jews. But then Jesus mentioned another word and the next word he said was Samaria. Because when you go to Samaria, you're gonna find Samarians or Samaritans. So you're gonna find a totally different bunch of people from who you are familiar with. So it's easy for me to, for you guys to associate with each other because you're familiar with each other, but the minute you go into Samaria, then you're gonna meet a totally different bunch of people, a different kettle of fish. And in order for you to do that, it means you have to leave your comfort zone to go to where I want you to go. And the biggest problem with us generally is leaving the comfort zone. Because the comfort zone is what I like. The comfort zone is what I'm used to. The comfort zone is what makes me feel good and feel happy. Then Jesus said, okay, since I said to you, go to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth, I'm going to give you an example. I'm going to place an example in front of you so that you will know that I myself did it. That is why I'm asking you to do it. You understand? I'm not going to bypass, because if you go to Luke chapter 9, you will find a very interesting incident happen. The, Jesus and his disciples were passing through this village of Samaria, and the guys chased them out of the village. They basically said to Jesus and his disciples, we don't want you guys anywhere near here. Please go away from here. And one of the disciples turned to Jesus and said, Jesus, do you want us to pray for fire to come from heaven and devour them? And Jesus looked at his disciples and said, you don't know what you're asking for. And then later on, John records, John says, and Jesus, that's how he starts this whole chapter. He says, and Jesus must needs go through Samaria. Wait a minute. We just heard a story that they were, they were, they were chasing you from that village. They didn't want you in that village. And now you are saying that I must go through Samaria again. Hey, Jesus, you know, you, you, you need to rethink this because you, you're asking us to go into a village again that they already asked us not to come through. 
And now you're saying, go back in there. And Jesus says, yeah, we need to go. The first word that I want you to write, if you're writing down, that Jesus was intentional. When the Bible says that he must, verse number four, chapter four, verse number four, he needed to go through Samaria. Your different translation may say he must needs go through Samaria. The, however you read it, he's basically saying, I want to be intentional about my journey into Samaria. I want to be intentional about my journey through Samaria. I want to make Samaria a, a pit stop. I want to make Samaria a reason for my coming into this world. Now, if you pause for a moment and think about all the hot spots in Taunton and the areas that you will avoid at all costs because it is not the best place to go to. And Jesus says, if you are serious about this message of the gospel of the kingdom, then you will have to find your Samarias around and say, I am, must needs go through Samaria. Intentional, Jesus was. The second thing was, in, in verse number six, it says, now Jacob's well was there. So the second thing that you, the first thing you must do is be intentional about getting out of this building and going into the community. That's the first point that Jesus brought out here. The second point was incarnational. See, I'm, I'm using all the words start with I. So the first word was intentional. The second word was incarnational. So the second thing that Jesus did was he went and he found a well. Think about all the wells that you will find in this town. Most of your wells, your well-known wells, look at it. English words, your well-known wells in Taunton will be your pubs, will be your buskers on the high street, will be your cafes, will be your shopping centers. But here's a well that a lot of us don't go to very often. It's a well called my neighbor. It's the well of the person that sits next door to me. I'll tell you a story. When we first came into uh, the UK and we went to, uh, we, we passed a church in a place called Workshop, uh, the first thing we did was, the first Easter that was here, we, we, we turned the entire church into a cafe for a week and we asked people to invite your neighbors to come to this event. And I think 90% of the people said, oh, you're asking us to do a very difficult thing. What is the difficulty? Talking to my neighbor. And here's the statement. We British people are very personal and, you know, we are about ourselves and we don't interfere with other people's business. Friends, we are in workshop now for uh, coming up to th 30 months, 3-0 months. And in that 30 months, I've managed to bring f over 40 people now into the church because I spoke to British people and I've noticed British people speak back. And every time I had a conversation with somebody from Britain, they spoke back to me and they came to church and now they're part of the church. One of my uh, uh, elders slash trustee said to me, 
Rocky, I've been six years in my community. I know my neighbor, I wave, but I've never had a conversation with, me, uh, with them. And you're asking me to do the most difficult thing. It's totally out of my comfort zone. To talk to my neighbor? I said, okay, go and try it. If you have any difficulty, please come back and let me know. So I'll, I'll try to find a different way for you to do it. This trusted elder went and spoke to his neighbor for the first time in six years. And that neighbor was in our cafe in the Easter week. You see, if you speak to people, generally, they speak back. If you speak to people, they will talk to you again. So the, the, the thing is, the, the lesson that Jesus was giving us in, in John chapter 4 is to be incarnational. There's two things that I want to ask this church to do. One is to find all the wells in town and find out how we can connect with people in, in the town. But the second thing that I want you to do is to look at ways of turning this building into a well. If, you, if, if it's going to be a well, it's going to be, well, what did the woman go to do at the well? She went to find refreshment. She went to find water, something that refreshes her. If somebody walks into this building at any time in the week, they must find something that refreshes their soul. They must find something that says, hey, I can go there, and something can happen in it. So part of the brainstorming plan that you need to have as a church is to find out how do we turn this building or this place into a well that people in the community will say, I want to go there. Here's a question I want to ask you, and you don't have to answer the question quickly. Uh, just think about it in your mind. If this church has to close its doors completely, will Taunton miss it? And when I talk about Taunton, I'm not talking about the members of the church. I'm talking about this community called Taunton. Will they miss it if those doors are completely closed? And the way you can evaluate that is to think about the last 12 months that your doors were closed. Did anybody bat an eyelid? Or if anybody asks when it's going to open again, apart from the normal Christians that do come to it? Oh, it's getting a bit uncomfortable now because the hard question is being asked, isn't it? The difficult question is being asked as to whether this is a well or it's not. And for us to turn that into a well. In order for us to do that, we have to be incarnational. We have to get to where the people are at and find out. I'll tell you a story. There was a, a, a pastor, a new pastor went into this community and there were a whole lot of young families coming into the community, but none of them were in the church. So he was getting a bit concerned, and he said, oh, I need to really get the young people, the, young, the next generation into the church, and what do I do? So what he did, he drew up a survey, and he introduced himself and his family, and he said, uh, we would like you to tell us what is your greatest need. And he distributed about 500 to 1,000 of those leaflets in his community. And he got back about 500 uh, replies. And you know what was the two needs of the community? One is, because we are new parents, we want to know how to bring up our children. And number two, the second highest question was, we don't know exactly how to choose diapers for our newborns. Can you help us? The pastor called a pediatrician 
a Christian pediatrician and asked him to come to the church. And then he called a diaper company and he said, can you please come and do a presentation of your diapers? And he invited this whole 500 people that responded. And for the first time, the church was packed out. There was no space in the church. And so the, the diaper guy got up and he shared about how to choose your diapers, which is the right size, how to put it on and how to take it off and whatever it is. And then when he finished his thing, the pediatrician came up and he spoke about how to bring up children, how to you know, feed them and you know, take care of them. And at the end of it, the pastor went up and he says, guys, uh, today we helped you to find the right diapers and how to bring up your children, but we also want to be more of just diapers and you know, pediatricians to your aid. We also want to take care of your spiritual needs, and that is why the church exists. The next Sunday, there were 250 people in the church because the church met a relevant need. The church was incarnational, and it saw the need of the community, and the community looked back at the church and said, hey, those guys are very relevant. To bring it back closer home, we, we didn't shut our doors during the pandemic. We kept it open all the time. Uh, I mean, our church doors. Because we knew that people were struggling and they needed a place that they can go to. So what we did, we started a feeding scheme in the church because a lot of people were losing their jobs and they had nowhere to go for uh, food and stuff. So we created this little pantry in the church and we got uh, one of the guys to make soup and get sandwiches and we started to feed people during that time. The only church in a community of 40,000 was open during this time. And what, what really happened was that while we were doing this, the council heard about it. And they said, wow, that is amazing. So they called us and they said, what, what are you doing in your church? And we said, no, we're just helping people you know, through this pandemic. And they said, well, listen, we want to give you 10,000 pounds for you to make it bigger and better. We didn't even ask. They came to us and said, because you are meeting a need in the community, we want to come and give you money to make it bigger and buy whatever utensils you need so that it can be better as you go forward. Now, why am I telling you the story? Is because we created a well, people came to the well, and we had an opportunity to share Jesus with them. You have to be incarnational. So the first thing you need to be is intentional. The second thing is you need to be incarnational. The third thing you need to be is innovative. Like the pastor who decided I'm just going to ask the, con the community what they need. And the community came back and said, oh, we just need diapers and we need, um, uh, need to know how to bring up our children. They were very innovative in what they did. And the people responded to the innovation. The third thing, the fourth thing that Jesus did was he was interactive. Now, quite often when we meet with people, uh, sometimes we just want to shove Jesus down the throat. And uh, quite often I find that happen. And I'm not saying that it's, it shouldn't happen. I find a lot of people in the, in, sometimes on the streets, standing on the boxes and preaching a fire and brimstone sermon, hoping people that will, will come to Jesus and then the cops come and carry them away because they are being a bit too heavy and too harsh and too uh, straightforward uh, to people. And so what we have done, what, I, what Jesus did here, Jesus came and started a conversation with this, with, with this woman. And the conversation was not about what I have or what I'm going to do. It's a conversation about what, you, what did you come to do. So the woman came to fetch water and Jesus' conversation with her, give me a drink. You see how simple it was? 
What's theological about it? What's doctrinal about it? What's supernatural about it? Nothing. It was just, I'll have a glass of water with you. Uh, can you give me a glass of water? A simple conversation that started an interaction with the woman so that Jesus can move that conversation to something else. So whenever you meet people at a well, or where, where, whichever well you are choosing in this town, start a simple conversation. One of the things that I do is I always, whenever I see uh, parents with children, I start a conversation about the child. Uh, and no parent doesn't want to talk about the children. You start a conversation about the child, and then you find out what's the baby's name, and then I mean, we come from Africa, and uh, if you come from the East or from Africa, we don't just give names to children because it was in the ancestry. We give names to children because it has a meaning and a significance attached to it. So when I give a name, for example, if we gave a name to Ruel, we gave that name because Ruel is Ruach El, means the breath of God. So we want the breath of God in our family at all times. We want the spirit of God to be in our family. So it's a relevant message in the name. And so when you talk to people generally on the street and you start a conversation with somebody and they have a baby, start a conversation about the baby and go into the meaning of the name. And... Uh, some of them will just look at you with a blank look because what you mean meaning? <laughs> we just gave this name because my great-grandfather's mother had that name or something. And so we just passed it down the, down the line. And so, uh, but you can start a conversation on that. And once you start talking about meanings of names, it is easy to transition that conversation to Jesus. Because when you transition it from your baby's name to the name of Jesus, now you're going to talk about what's the meaning of Jesus then? And if the meaning of Jesus is God saves, then there must be a real reason why God called his son Jesus. You see how, how you can do transitions? Because you start with a simple thing that the person is familiar with, and then you take them to this, what God wants them to know. All right? So you've got to be interactive. Um, at all times. And then you also need to be incremental. Now, when I use the word incremental, I mean that you have to go slowly. Don't rush into people and start bashing them with scriptures. Listen, we as Christians are good at speaking Christianese. We know the language. When you say hallelujah, I'll say amen because I know how to respond to Christianese. You go say hallelujah to a non-Christian, like what do you mean? You understand? You go use a Christian jargon with somebody outside of the faith. They're totally confused in it. So you need to be incremental. You've got to build it up, build it up, build it up. Because Jesus started with water. Then he spoke to her about her marriage. And then he said to her, because her next response was, Oh, you look like a prophet. You know, we are expecting the Messiah to come. You know, Jesus didn't even stoke that fire yet. He didn't even talk about the Messiah or the prophet. He just asked a simple question. And he said, go and bring your husband. And suddenly, something dawned on her that is beyond her comprehension. No Christianese, no Jewish lingo, nothing. It was just a conversation about water that went into, now let's talk about your marriage, your husband. And then she says, 
uh, then Jesus says, oh, yeah, of course, you, you, you're not married because you have, you've had five husbands, and the one that you're living with right now is not even your husband. So Jesus is basically saying to her, you see all these things you've been searching for satisfaction from? First of all, the water that you come to every single day and fetch, that nobody, uh, it, it's not satisfying you. Then you've got all these men in your life that you've lined up for your satisfaction. It's not satisfying you. I'm going to lead you to a satisfaction. And then eventually he tells her the one thing that he would never have told her in the beginning of his conversation. He said, I will speak to you, am he. Because she said, we know that Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ, and when he comes, he will change, he will teach us, tell us all things. And Jesus said, but I am the one that's speaking to you right now. Now, here's, here's something that I want you to pause for a moment for. This is found in verse number 26, where Jesus said, I am the one, the Messiah that you are talking about. Imagine if Jesus started the conversation in verse number four. When the woman came to the well, Jesus said to her, I know you are looking for the Messiah, and I'm going to tell you that I am the Messiah. That will be the shortest ch chapter in the New Testament. <laughs> right? Because that conversation would have stopped right there. Because the, the language wasn't conducive to the environment that the woman was in. So when God is calling us to speak to our neighbors and tell them about his love, he's not asking us to take the Bible and show them how much of the Bible we know. He's telling them, can you connect with where they are at? Somebody is struggling with their children and you have answers for that. Somebody is, uh, uh, needs a new job and you have answers to that because you can pray to the God who can give that job to the person. You know somebody is going through some hardship in their life and you know the answer to that. Are you with me this morning? You understand where I'm going with this? Because I come from South Africa and you probably know by now that South Africa is the AIDS capital of Africa. There's 2.4 million young people between the ages of 18 and 24 that are HIV positive in the country. Breaks my heart because it's almost like a, an entire generation can get wiped out by this horrible disease called AIDS. And imagine for a moment that I'm a doctor and I found the cure for AIDS. And then I said to my wife and children, I said, oh, you know what? I was in the lab this week, and I did a research and some uh, studies and whatever it is, and I found the cure for AIDS. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to keep it for us so that if some, when any one of us contract it, hey, we can cure ourselves. We don't have to worry. Don't let anybody else know about it. I'll be the most selfish doctor you'll ever know, isn't it? But church... You, and you, and you, and I, have found the cure to S-I-N. And why do we keep it to ourselves? Why do we hide it in our homes so that we can die and go to heaven one day? You think that was the message of Jesus? Hey guys, come and follow me, and one day when you die, you'll come to my heaven and be with me forever? Was that the message that Jesus was sharing? He said, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to the ends of the earth. Then the end will come. We are far from that. 
You know why? Largely because we're very selfish. We found the cure to SIN. We'd rather sit in our unholy bubbles and complain about the people that are living in sin than do anything about people that are living in sin. And we have become the most selfish bunch of people on the earth because we know the answer. We know who is the answer. We know the cure to SIN. We know how to get people to come to this cure, but we never share it. We don't want to share it. We, we keep it to ourselves. We, I, I mean, I was having a conversation with somebody um, some time ago, and the conversation was about how beautiful Bible studies they have. I mean, they meet regularly, like twice or three times a week, and they have those beautiful Bible studies. And I said, and uh, why are you having those Bible studies? Oh, we want to know more about the scriptures and what God wants us to know. Seriously? What about the practice of that scripture you're studying? You see, that's where the problem is. We know the scriptures. We are like the Pharisees who Jesus said, you know the scriptures because you think in them you find truth, you find salvation, but they are what testify of me. Jesus was saying you can know all the scriptures, but if you're not practicing it, you're not putting it into practice, what good is it? Now, I know this morning that my message to you has come across a bit hard. But if in order for us to not fossilize, we have to evangelize. In order for us to not fossilize, we have to make incredible connections with our community. Start with your neighbor, start with your colleague, start with somebody that you can have a conversation with and then take it further from there and watch what God does. You see my job, people say to me, oh, do you get a lot of responses from people when you speak? I said, that's not my job. My job is to speak. It's the Holy Spirit's job to do the conviction. You understand? I can't convict you. I can preach the best sermon you want this morning. I can take this mic out of the stand and run up and down on the stage, get out of the screen sometimes, and really spit and do whatever I want and really get you all excited. But I can't do the convicting. When the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to convict you and say to you guys, it, we are in a place right now. I, I'll tell you this. The church is in the most opportune moment in the history of the church. The church right now in the UK especially is in a place where it, it has all the answers, it knows what needs to be done, it's just about getting out and getting it done. Because when, when the lockdown stops, ends, everybody is looking for a place. And the church was supposed to be that place. So let me close with this. Jesus, first of all, chose to associate with the Samaritan woman. Secondly, Jesus initiated contact with her. Thirdly, Jesus cared for the person. The woman at the well is a person that Jesus cared for. Jesus started the conversation with a common element. 
Then Jesus aroused a curiosity by us going deeper into the conversation. Then Jesus directed the conversation. He didn't let it pull it somewhere because she tried that once. You remember? She said, our ancestors worship on this mountain and you Jews worship in Jerusalem. She just wanted to move the conversation somewhere else and Jesus brought her back into the conversation. So you've got to be able to direct that conversation. Then Jesus minimized controversy. When she spoke about the, that mountain and about Jerusalem, Jesus brought her back to the Messiah. The true worshippers of God must worship in spirit and in truth. And then Jesus does not and did not jump to conclusions. He met the woman where she was and eventually brought her to a place that she could leave her water pot down, run into the village and say, come see a man who has told me everything that I needed to know. Could this be the Messiah? And yes, my friend, she was talking to the Messiah who has come into this world to bring salvation. And the beautiful thing is that God has taken that mandate, he's placed it in each one of our hands, and he says, now run with it, get the work done, because this, uh, this country, the UK, is waiting to hear that message again and again and again. Let me conclude with this. When we came into this country, we went to open a bank account. And um, so we went to, to this bank, I sat down, and the woman looked at me and she, she said, do you want Sharia banking? And I looked back at her and I said, why would you offer me Sharia banking? This is a Christian country. And she said, because that's what the Muslims demand when they want banking in this country. And, and it, it broke my heart for a couple of reasons. But the number one reason is you go into one of the Muslim countries and tell them that you want Christian banking and see whether you'll get it. So here again, we've come to that place where we're busy negotiating things. And in the process, the gospel, the Christian gospel is becoming totally disseminated because it got nothing to offer to society right now. It's time, church, that we arise, take back what rightfully belongs to us and start bringing bringing in the souls that belong to the kingdom of God. And there's loads of it in this town. Let's pray together. It is not their job to come to us. It is our job to go to them. And this morning, you've heard You've heard that God is still interested in humanity and he wants to reach humanity and he's calling us to be a part of that process. What a privilege that this great God and Savior, the, the owner of the, uh, the entire universe, is saying to us that I want to engage you in my work of redemption for mankind. And I'm asking you to come and join me in this, in this journey. And to, this morning, you can pick up your hand and say, Lord, here am I. I. I really want to do it 
for the sake of the cross. Lord, I really want to do it. I want to do it because you have mandated me to do it and you've gifted me to do it and I want to do it for your glory. Lord, I pray a special blessing upon this church. I pray that you would bless the leadership and bless every single member of this church that irrespective of age and um, social status, that every single person will say, Lord, use me. Like Caleb, when he was 85, he said to Moses, give me that mountain. And this morning I pray that every member of this congregation will say the same thing, give me that mountain. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you.